This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the Otson Audibles podcast. Matt Prem, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on the show. All three of us back together again. Uh, unfortunately, guys, uh, Bad timing for the for the basketball teams. Uh, both teams coming off rough weekends. We'll we'll get to that big picture stuff um, second half of the show. But we've also got a mailbag that's pretty basketball focused because it's football's over now and it's kind of the the sport for the next couple of months. It's all basketball. I think it's an all basketball podcast. It's the first time I think we've done this in probably a year. Um, yep. I put out the questions on Sunday. None, I guess I was a little surprised that we get a little football talk. Everybody kind of want to talk basketball, so that's where we're going to be speaking about today. Um, and as Matt said, we'll get to some kind of bigger picture thoughts at the end of the show because weird weekend for both teams. Just kind of strange stuff mm-hmm. and there's a lot to get to. But let's start here with, I think, the question that kind of encapsulates the whole weekend from at NPHILLY1. When was the last time the men's basketball team lost a game that was so detrimental to their NCAA tournament chances? Um, And he says, compared to Saturday's debacle, he uses the hashtag, it's not a bolt. It's obviously talking about the 78-64 loss to Cal, um, a game where Oregon is finally getting some buzz for the tournament. Jay Billis, I think earlier that morning or the day before, is like, I buy Oregon. I think Oregon, you know, has a shot to make a run. And against a Cal team that – prior to this weekend had lost 10 straight. They just kind of get blown off the court. Uh, it was really, really weird. So Matt, you and Jared were there covering it. So I'll toss it to you guys. But to the first part, I can't think of a game like this is the thing with Dana Altman coach teams is usually down the stretch of a season. They're not losing these kind of games. And that's what makes it such a weird year. Um, overall, just horrible loss probably would be the Texas Southern game that happened November 26th, 2018. They lost that one 89 to, to 84. Um, but that came that, – that's probably as close of, of a loss in the net or whatever ranking system you want to use that came at home um, for a Dana Altman team. But that's a game in November, not a game mm-hmm. in mid-February – that was just bone crushing. Um, I I think probably I go back to the same year, late February at UCLA, where they lose 90 to 83. And I want to say they had like a 20 point lead in the first half against the Bruins yeah. at UCLA. And somehow gave that up. UCLA scored 62 points in the second half and, and won that one. Yeah. And that was a game where it was like, hey, they were coming off a blowout loss to USC. They, they lost 66 to 49 on Thursday night to USC on the road. Um, they'd lost two in a row because they'd lost to Oregon State in Corvallis the week before. They were blown out in that game too. Um, but the UCLA one, it was like, hey, they figured it out. Here we go. They're going to get a good win, and then they just fell apart in the second half. Uh, luckily for Oregon, they they bounced back, and they won their four next games in the regular season. Um, they then went on to win four straight in the Pac-12 tournament, and we know that they made the Sweet 16 that season. So um, maybe that's shades of this year, but I don't know. Yeah, for to answer the question of – you know, when was the last time this happened on their Dan Allman team? Um, I don't know. I don't feel like it's ever happened. This has just been such a strange season, and like especially given the circumstances of how late it is in the season. Um, like Matt said, that Stephen F. Austin loss was really bad. Um, that was just 
in terms of just pure net ranking and, and how good those teams are comparatively, I think that's the closest one. Um, but this late in season, um, when you're on a, when Oregon is on a run, winners of 10 of their last 11, when they're fighting for a postseason bid, um, when they're really not that far in the standings, like away from being a top two, top three team, um, with a huge opportunity ahead of themselves against UCLA, USC, and Arizona. Um, that was pretty alarming, man. I mean, you look at the last couple of weeks, though, and I don't know. There's, I, I, I thought that this team was playing well in general. I mean, you don't win 10 out of 11 by playing poorly. But there were a lot of red flags. There were a lot of big issues that Oregon kind of skated by by the skin of their teeth because they were playing poor teams. And you kind of thought going into that Cal game that, like, well, if things go bad, then maybe it can happen again. You know, just like the Utah game where they blow a 14-point lead in three minutes and then have to really struggle to get out of Salt Lake City again with a win. Um, but then they exercised all their demons in Colorado and finally won for the first time in 12 years. So you have both of those things in back-to-back weeks. Um, this team, man, yeah, I, I just – it was a weird one, um, and but again, like just to answer the question in terms of has this happened before in the Dane Altman era? Like, I'm sure it has, but off the top of my head, I don't remember a team coached by Altman playing this well, losing a game like this against a terrible Pac-12 team in February when fighting for a playoff contention. I really just, I, it doesn't come to my brain, and yeah i don't i don't know where this where they go from here in terms of of going back into the tournament but they need to run like they had and and that uh steven f austin season where they you know take home the pac-12 championship um because that's the tournament championship i should just clarify because that's going to be their <laughs> their best option of automatically getting in it's really strange it's really weird i, I don't think that was yeah. an outcome that was even on my radar going into saturday you know, given the way they oh, played leading into yeah. it. And then, you know, I think the thing that was strange for me was just the, the how it came down. I mean, how, like, was it 22-0 run, 24-0 run? 24. 24. That's just that's just really hard to swallow, especially when, again, Cal's not a team that – I mean, that, that hurts your net ranking because this was a quad three loss at home. And I think, Matt, you've said this is – Another this one. Is this their third this season? Yeah, at, at home too. And that's what's right. so weird. That's what's so weird. It's so uncharacteristic of these Dana Altman coach teams where you think, and especially as, as you guys have talked about, this is a team that's been playing pretty well. I mean, at least based upon the results. I know there may be some, some flaws there, and we can get to some of that in the next couple of questions. I don't want to step on those. But I think that's the thing that was strange for me. I don't cover this team, but I do watch basically every game. And as somebody who's pretty invested in this, to just kind of see a game where they started pretty well. I think they got up 12 to five and you yeah. kind of felt like they had the momentum and Cowell yeah. again is not a very good team. They lost 10 in a row before beating Oregon state and Corvallis a couple days earlier to, to then just not have much of a response and just to let it go from being a game where you're up seven to being down 20. It feels like almost instantaneously and then not have much of a response. I think that was the part that was to me a little bit unusual um, for, for just how this team has played. There were there were two games last year at home that they lost that they should not have lost, but it was also when Oregon was coming off COVID pauses. They right. lost to Oregon State seventy five to sixty four. They literally didn't practice before they played that game, and then they lost to Washington State uh, a little bit like a week and a half later because of COVID pauses. And they lost that one seventy four to seventy one. Both of them at home. Um, both those teams were not very good. Oregon State in particular was terrible. Um, so maybe that's the most recent at home conference loss. Um, and what happened after that is pretty remarkable. You know, they, they went on to win five in a row and then they won uh, their last five games of the regular season. They lost one time to, to USC in between. So, I mean, that team made the Sweet 16. It, it's, it, was, it was an out-of-pocket, horrible, embarrassing loss. I think the thing, though, Matt, and you kind of touched on this on both of these seasons you're talking about, is I don't think you can write Oregon off. And I hope fans haven't done that yet because I know they are in a tough spot to, to 
get an at-large. They're going to have to win some big games. But it's not like these teams haven't been there under Dana Altman and haven't had these kind of responses. And as you said, the two seasons we've talked about where they've had these tough losses, kind of unexpected losses that put you in a tough spot, both times they respond not just by making the tournament, but by making the, the second weekend of the tournament. So um, yeah. I don't think you can write them off. But I think that the next question here I want to get to, because I think it kind of ties into the bigger point here, and it's from at ZB Green one why does the men's team have such a hard time maintaining consistency? To me, it doesn't seem like we have an alpha dog, hashtag Ots and Audibles. Um, consistency, I think, and we'll get to it for the women's program. I feel like both teams are kind of in the same boat here where night to night, you just kind of don't know exactly what you're going to get. And it seems to me like it's sort of is some similarity here. And you can correct me if I'm wrong here, Matt, because I know you follow the team closer and you cover the team and, and have a better feel for the team dynamics. But on the women's side, it also is like when the stars aren't playing well for the Oregon women's team, they're going to lose. And Will Richardson, I know, bounced back a little bit against Cal in the second half, but he was really absent in the first half. And it wasn't very good a couple of days earlier against Stanford. And I know they won that game, and Harmon, David Harmon played great in there. But is, is there an alpha? I mean, it felt like during this run, Will had really cemented himself there, but it seems like his play has kind of become a little bit more sporadic of, of late. Yeah, I, I think Will is the most important player. And Jared and I, I think both games were just flabbergasted just how off he was. He had an off weekend. Um, just his shot didn't look right. I mean, he missed short quite a bit against um, Stanford. And then against Cal in the first half, he was, just was inaccurate. It, it wasn't close. Yeah. Um, I think that is a factor. And I think it's important to note that Jacob Young scored 11 combined points and shot four of 15 from the field, made one three-pointer in seven tries, attempted just five free throws and made just two of them um, over the weekend. And as important as Will Richardson is, Jacob Young is equally maybe as important because he's the guy. Will is the one player you have confidence in in a half-court setting to create a good look for himself or for others. And then it's Jacob who you feel very confident in, hey, Oregon gets a rebound off a miss or a turnover. He's getting the ball, and he's the one that's going to get up court so fast to get a layup and really push the tempo of the game and speed, speed the game up into or into a level that Oregon wants it to be at. And he did not play well either um, against both teams. And I, I think it's evident that against even average to bad teams, you this team is not good enough to survive consistently with both Young and Richardson having off nights. Against Stanford, Davion Harmon stepped up, had a big game, uh, and they had some other help around him, and it, it, was a, it was a solid performance by Oregon, but it took some time to get that win. But then against Cal, when Young and Richardson were not really humming right away, the team struggled. Harmon took 16 shots to score 11 points. That, that is not his game. Um, we've talked about it on this podcast quite a bit that when he, he had found his rhythm and it, his shots had gone down, his made baskets had went up, his efficiency skyrocketed. And when he turns into a volume shooter, that's not what Oregon needs. That's, that's not Oregon at their best. Well, I mean, Harmon had no choice but to do that this past Absolutely. Um, I mean, Richardson shot, I think, once in the against Stanford in the first half and then twice or three times against Cal in the first half. Um, Matt, like you were saying, his shots were just off, which is a strange thing from him because he's a very good shooter. Um, I'm not sure if he still does, but prior, probably prior to this weekend, he led the Pac-12 in three-point shooting from the, from the field. Um, Probably not anymore, like I'm saying. Um, they were just really terrible misses. I mean, Richardson was flat out bad this weekend. He had just no rhythm. Uh, defensively, he was fine, but an offense where he where he thrives, that is, that is his saving grace in his basketball profile. Um, I mean, I know he was 6-12 from the field against Cal, 
but those were all buckets while they were down 17 with four minutes left and desperately trying to do anything because they couldn't have did, they couldn't do anything all game long. And as far as consistencies, um, just like answering the question in general, this team is consistently inconsistent. It's <laughs> unbelievably infuriating to watch this team because they go through the biggest peaks and the largest valleys you'll ever see. It's six minutes of fantastic basketball. It's six minutes of what the hell is going on out here. And I think that's the best way to describe them. Um, because again, like when Richardson and Young and Harmon are making their shots from the perimeter and you have Nafale Dante, who's capable of, of leading an offense for a few minutes, legitimately leading an offense for a few minutes. Um, and Quincy Gurrier, who can put the team on his back defensively and occasionally hit a corner three or whatnot. That's a really damn good team. And you've seen them go toe-to-toe with, with teams like UCLA and USC for a reason. I mean, they'll have a, a, a contest against Arizona, who's a top-10 team in the country, and they'll figure out whatever the heck is going on there. But if they hit a peak during that game, they can turn that very competitive very fast. And then you have the extreme valleys, like allowing a 24 to nothing run to Cal, which is like a top 160 net team prior to that game where there were zero concerns from anybody in the media about what was going to happen this game because that's how bad Cal was, yeah. like Eric mentioned. They had lost 10 of 11 before meeting Oregon. Um, a 24 to nothing run, I remind you. Um, they went from Oregon went from being up seven to down 17 in nine minutes. So it's not like the run happened just like this. Oregon went nine minutes without scoring which is unbelievably impressive to do, considering it's on your home court, uh, considering the looks they were getting, considering the, just the significant talent advantage that they have over Cal. Um, Jordan Shepard led Cal with 33 points. Um, a bunch of them came from the line, but still, that's an absurd number for an opposing player to have in Matthew Knight Arena under Dana Altman. So... And obviously, you know, Cal played good basketball. They hit their shots. And, you know, that, that sometimes happens. But Oregon has to hit their shots, too. And shot making from the, beyond the arc and in general has been the main story from both programs here, um, which I think is interesting because both of these teams, I would say, have had remarkably similar seasons in terms of you know, starting really slow, getting hot at the right time, and then just dropping off a cliff before trying to, you know, recoup themselves and try to get better. But, you know, I, the men's team, it is truly perplexing how much that they struggle with lesser competition. Um, I don't know if the team just doesn't get up for games. I don't know what it's like in the locker room there. Um, but to also answer the original question of who is the alpha dog on this team, I don't know because it should be Will Richardson. I think we've talked about this before. Um, he's Oregon's best player by far. He's the most talented player on the roster. And But there are too many nights where he is um, passive and will not take the game into his control and um, just kind of plays as a two-guard and – not the position, but as a second guard option, which was great when Peyton Pritchard was here and he could play an actual two guard, an off ball guard. But with him being forced to initiate the offense and being forced to be the primary ball handler, it might be a little bit too much. And I don't think Jacob Young or Davion Harmon are talented enough to take over that lead, lead ball handler position and force Richardson off to the two guard. It's just... There's a lot of moving parts here, and none of them are working to, working together. I, I think Will is I mean, Oregon's players and coaches, or Oregon's coaches have said this that he is a quiet by nature guy. Um, this season, sure. we have certainly seen him be much more vocal on the court, in huddles, on the bench. Um, than we've seen the last three years. He's trying to be that alpha. Um, I think it's a weird dynamic where Frank, I think Frank is is probably the alpha, but he's not your best player or your second or third best player on the team. 
And that's kind of in sports, that's kind of the dynamic that you have to have to be the alpha. You can't be the seventh guy on the team and be the alpha. Um, you can certainly be a tone setter and a guy that, you know, will, will bring physicality and um, will, will be an enforcer type like Kepnog is and does a really good job doing. But players and athletes respond, you know, to the people that are being vocal. And I'm not trying to say they haven't, you know, they don't, they don't like Frank. They all do. They all love Frank. They all talk about it. But it's different when it's your number one or your number two or your number three guy coming out. So I I was thinking about this, and not to get too far away from the question here, but I kind of wonder if this is a year where maybe the lack of continuity is maybe caught up to Oregon a little bit. Like what would Oregon give to just have a Casey Benson – on this team, a guy that's a three-year player. He's not maybe the most athletic guy, but he knows the system. He knows the defense. He knows the league. He, he, he has, you know, chemistry with three or four other guys on the team. Um, they just, it feels like they're just missing one more kind of glue piece to this team that, when things aren't going well, he knows what to do. And and that's more so, you know, earlier in the season when they had the loss to BYU or St. Mary's or Houston um, or Arizona State and Stanford in December in conference play. You know, it just feels like they're missing that one more piece to this puzzle, and it's a continuity piece. To that point, Matt, before we get to the third one, uh, you, you, uh, you think a player – Somebody need to step up when the other team's on a twenty-four nothing run. Yes, and I think somebody like a Casey Benson or somebody with that kind of experience and that continuity, like you said, certainly would have helped. I, it's honestly, I, I can't really get past that twenty-four nothing run. And to be honest, in terms of watching the game, I had a hard time moving on from it just in, in, while I was watching it because it was just like that is so baffling to allow that to happen on your home court against this team. And something something's off when that just takes place period and it makes you ask questions and i'm hopefully this is a learning experience and the team by the way as we're recording this we're not too far off from them tipping off for another home basketball yeah. game against washington state so um, not a lot of time to get you know turn the corner mm -hmm. here but very necessary because washington state is better than cal and washington state will yeah. challenge oregon i think because they like like oregon are, are kind of competing i think washington state's further down but for some sort of an at-large, like they need yes. this is the game they have to have if they have any shot of that. Otherwise, they like Oregon probably have to win the conference championship uh, in the tournament. And with Arizona playing the way they're playing, and even UCLA with the opportunity to get hot or USC, it's going to be hard to win that down in Vegas. So, um, okay, onto the third one here, and then we'll get into. I have some one more thing. One more thing, real quick. I have to. I got to disagree on the continuity thing. I don't think this team needs it as much as they need somebody who can just knock down a perimeter shot. Um, other than Will Richardson, because there's nobody else you can rely on. I think every time Davion Harmon takes a three, it's a oh, no, no, yes. The same with Quincy Gurrier. And Jacob Young, you're a little more confident in, but he doesn't shoot it nearly that much from the perimeter. I think their continuity is just fine. They get a lot of good looks. They get they play really good defense for a long, long stretches of time. Um, obviously, they didn't against Cal, but against Stanford, they played really well. Uh, even, well, in portions of the game against Cal, I thought they played good defense. I think their biggest issue is just that they don't have anybody they can rely on to hit a jumper. When So maybe it is Casey Benson, but it's not for the continuity. It's Casey Benson for the fact that if he's wide open in the corner, there's like a 70% chance that ball is going in. And they, along with the women's team, desperately need somebody who could just be a knockdown guy. And maybe that's who they look for in the portal for next year or something like that. But other than Richardson – who has all the attention on him because I don't think a lot of teams are afraid of Young or Harmon or Dante or whoever else you put on the floor. They don't have anybody that you consistently know is going to knock down a shot. Everybody is just somebody who has the capability of doing so. And if they get hot, maybe they knock down two or three a night. But there's nobody on the team other than Will Richardson who will make more than four or five games, four or five threes in a game. This is There's no Anthony Mathis on this team. There is no... 
just deep perimeter threat that everybody has to have eyes on or else that ball's going in. So when Richardson drives the lane, I can crash all four guys onto him because you take that shot in the corner, Quincy Guerrier, be my guest. You're shooting under 30% from the three-point line this year. That's a pretty good odds that that ball isn't going in. And if it does, and if it does go in, oh, well, he's not going to make the next one. And I think – I think that they have a good – I think that their offense plays well a lot of the times and that they get good looks and open and a lot of three-point looks because that's how Dana Allman's system runs. But no one can knock it down, and I think that's their biggest Achilles heel. And the continuity part would have helped in December and in November, but you can say that about basically every single Dana Allman team, even the ones that had continuity. So I think they just need help on the perimeter, and clearly what they – thought they were getting in a lot of guys wasn't exactly what they got. Third one from at quack attack one, two, three, who wins a championship first football or men's basketball hashtag odds and audibles. Um, I feel like football is really a ways away from being, I mean, that's a couple of things. Okay. College basketball allows for a lot more parity because of the structure of the way the tournament is put together and by just the basics of the sport where a team can get hot in theory and be a team that wouldn't have been necessarily competitive with Team X on any day on the floor. And maybe they get hot from three. And like you were just saying, Jared, a guy who's a Quincy area who shoots 30% hits five of them. Shoot, the women just experienced right. this against Oregon State. Ellie Mack was shooting 25% from three on Friday going into Friday's game, and she hit five of seven. Um, stuff like this can happen. And so you can see a team make a deep run. An Oregon team that maybe isn't as talented as a, I don't know, a Gonzaga or a North Carolina or a Kansas, whoever they face, you know, deep into a tournament, you could knock them down. You could knock them off. Um, on the football side, though, like, that just doesn't really happen. We just don't see that right now. And the top teams are the top teams. And you're not going to, frankly, I just don't see a, a team getting hot and suddenly there's there's no really, you know, there's no similar thing of like a, a team just getting hot from three or a team playing out of its mind because of one or two players really elevating its play. Football is different in that regard. And the elite teams beat up on the non-elite teams. And I think it requires a huge step up for Oregon and football to be able to compete really seriously for a national championship with the Georgia, the Alabamas of the world, the Clemsons, the Ohio States. I know they just beat Ohio State this last year. Maybe that's your um, example of the analogy of getting hot and, and, and being an upset team, but you have to do it twice in like three weeks to, to be able to do it for a national championship. I think that is a lot more difficult than getting hot in an NCAA tournament and maybe finding a couple matchups that are up to your advantage and getting hot. Mm -hmm. Plus, I think the other reality here is is that in basketball, the way you recruit, you just get a couple of really elite guys and you can completely change your You're roster. Right there. Yeah. yeah, you can be right there. So I actually think, I know this is probably some listening would expect me to go the other way. I think men's basketball has a better chance of, like, either men's or women's basketball, just because of the format and the way the sport is played. I just think there's it's easier to turn that corner and just get hot and become a team that can compete for a national championship. And, and I think you, that plays out too nationally, not just Oregon, but you look at, look at the standing, look at the top 10 rankings in men's basketball now and compare them to the beginning of the season. Yeah. They're, they're really different. And if you do that in football, there's obviously some teams in football that made, you know, Oregon was a team that wasn't necessarily expected to be top three like they were in the middle of the season. But Georgia and Alabama, everybody knew going in, those were the alphas. And Ohio State was still around. And, you know, a lot of these top 10 teams were teams we expected to be there. It's hard to do that in football, to really flip, you know, to flip it and actually to be able to go out and compete and win a championship. So um, I, I actually think basketball is just easier in principle to, to make a run and to win a championship. Football is going to require a, a ton a ton, a ton, a ton, and a huge overhaul. And honestly, it's going to require the Pac-12 being more competitive, too, to give a team like an Oregon a shot to even compete for a championship where you can maybe take a loss during a regular season and still have a chance to make it. Because running the table, as we've seen, is really, really hard in college football. Mm -hmm. And if you're Oregon, if you don't run the table, you're probably not getting in most years. So um, long-winded way of saying, yeah, I think I'd take basketball men's or women's over football. Shoot, I'd take softball just from a format and a parity perspective. Those sports give you a better – shoot, Jared, I'll give you baseball, even though you're going to tell me that's absurd based upon their team. <laughs> more about it than I do. It is. It's absurd. But, but my point is I think football is really difficult to break into that that upper echelon. Those blue chip yeah. programs are, are really tough to compete with, and I just think it it's going to take a lot for Oregon to actually get there. So, I'm with you. I, I pick basketball. 
Um, and I don't think it's close either. I agree with you. Um, that's not to say that in four years, if Dan Lanning continues the trend that Crystal Ball was on of acquiring elite talent, that my perspective could change. But for now, even with the seasons that both the men and the women are having, I'm, I'm choosing football or basketball. And honestly, like we could see maybe the best chance from a men's perspective in a year or two at Oregon, depending upon what shakes out from a recruiting perspective because of uh, what you guys brought up of just one year, you add two or three guys and all of a sudden you've, reloaded and, and elevated yourself three tiers. I mean, Oregon has, I don't know if duck fans have, if this registers all the way yet. Um, they have two five-star commits for the men's team, a top 10 player in the country in Kalila Ware, who's a center, um, Dior Johnson, who's a top 25 player in the country, who's a point guard. And then they have a junior college player, Tyrone Williams, who's the number two player in the country at the Juco level. And Jared was talking about how this team needs another shooter, another guy that, that can make threes. Um, it's Juco, but Tyrone Williams has seven games where he's made four or more three pointers in a, in a basketball game. He's made seven in a, in a game this season. And he has quick glance at it, like four more games where he's made three. He's scored 40 points or more twice. He averages almost 28 points a game. Um, like next year's roster, if they go out and they can find a grad transfer, which I would expect they do, you know, they could be loaded next season. And you know, everything is set up for them to to come out and, and be a really good player or for you know a top 10 team next season. Um, I think the obvious answer here is basketball. Um, I won't even like really entertain the idea of football yet. Um, I mean, the, the real answer here is women's basketball. That's where Oregon has their best shot at winning a national championship. Just because that's, I, you know, I still to go back to the, the 2020 women's basketball team and Sabrina and Ruthie and Satu's final year and Eric. Yeah. It, I know. Uh, rest in peace. Um, we're a little my tea for them. Really, honestly, um, that was their best shot. I, there, there's very little doubt in my mind that they would have run, made a real, real, real run at winning a national championship that year. Um, but football is just so damn hard to get into that upper echelon level. That's why there's only like four of them. That's why for the last five years, it's been Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State, and then whoever else is the fourth team to get into the college football playoffs because it's hard. Um, I don't – I mean, I, I like the trajectory Oregon is going on. I've been liking it for the last couple of years under Mario. Um, there's still a reason as to why uh, Oregon couldn't sniff the college football playoffs when it came down to the final two weeks of the year. They weren't close. And every year in the Pac-12, that 9-0 and that you have to go on conference has never happened. As long as it stays 9-0, and it probably won't happen. And Oregon has had legitimate chances of going 9-0 and in conference. But every year, there's going to be one slip-up. And in the Pac-12, because the, the conference is pretty abysmal compared to the others, um, that can't happen. And I, Oregon should continue to schedule these really hard out-of-conference games because that was the only reason Oregon was near the playoffs this past season to begin with. It's because they beat an almost playoff team in Ohio State, the same team that got absolutely smoked by Michigan which then in turn Michigan gets absolutely smoked by Georgia. The levels of, of the playing field in college football are significantly different than they are in college basketball. Um, every few years in college basketball, you will get a team that is just head and shoulders above the rest. Um, uh, what, 2014, you had Kentucky with like Carl Anthony Towns, Devin Booker team. That same year you had Wisconsin with Frank Kaminsky and Sam Decker. Those teams were unbelievable. But guess what? Kentucky still lost before the national championship. Wisconsin lost the national championship to Duke, who had some good players, but their best three players were all true freshmen, five stars. 
which is the opportunity that college basketball gives you and not the opportunity that college football gives you. Because you can be Texas A&M, who had the best recruiting class of all time, and of like the 22, 23 kids, um, I would be highly skeptical of all of them ever getting playing time in this first year of college football for them. Uh, there's a chance a lot of them do play, but unlike college basketball, if I were to bring in the number one class of all time, I bet all three or four or five of the guys that I signed would be starting almost immediately in college basketball because of just the skill level, the disparity between high school to college is a lot, but it's not nearly as much as college football. And like Matt laid out, when Oregon can recruit, which they've shown for the last couple of years that they can recruit at a national level, you know, signing people like Bo Bo and Lou King, um, this class in particular with Dior Johnson, who I'm a big fan of, uh, who I think is really good. If he stayed at one high school or maybe two high schools, his recruiting ranking would look a lot different. Um, think Seven McGee, if you don't don't know Dior Johnson's story. Um, and then Khalil Ware. Man, if you haven't watched Khalil Ware tape, watch him because he's going to be something else at Oregon. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Let's do a quick kind of assessment of both the men's and women's NCAA tournament hopes and kind of what we expect there as we kind of close it because we are reaching that point of the year where I think we probably want to do this on almost a weekly basis and just where do they stand? Um, let's start with the women since we've spoken a lot about the men and then we'll finish up with kind of the men's chances. I know we touched on that a little bit um, talking about the cow loss, but we've spoken a lot on this podcast about the men's team and about inconsistency and lack of three-point shooting. And the women's team is, is kind of in a similar spot. Um, it's been a really weird week. If you look at the women, um, they beat Washington State by 53 in Pullman. And you're probably going, well, Washington State's not good in women's basketball. No, they are. Look at them in the standings. They're basically tied with Oregon. They just swept the L.A. schools at home. Um, this is a Washington State team that very much is in contention to make an NCAA tournament run. Probably will. Probably going to – I mean, they'll be one of the last couple of teams in the field, but they'll probably be in it. And Oregon beat them by 53. And then they turn around and they play a weird game against Oregon State on Friday where they're up 14. Suddenly they're not up at all. Then they win pretty convincingly, play great in the fourth quarter, sets up a game on Sunday, Super Bowl Sunday, where you kind of just think, okay, here they're going to get the season sweep over the Beavers. And that would be a rarity in this rivalry for Oregon. It's not something that they've done very frequently at all because Oregon State for a long time was a superior program before Kelly Graves got here and Sabrina and et cetera. And then they just play – probably their worst offensive game of I don't know if it's the season because they just played a couple crappy ones down in the desert but to shoot four for 21 from three to get out rebounded by 15 to commit 30 fouls and give up 40 something almost 40 free throws I mean there were so many things that were glaring and just disappointing for a team that felt like it was kind of figuring it out um you know and they're in a spot here where they're obviously in a much better position than the men to make the tournament. They're going to make the tournament. They're number 12 in the net ranking right now. They were seven going into Sunday's game. If they would have won that game, they could have moved up to the, you know, near a top five net ranking, in which case 
you're going to be almost assured, you know, hosting the opening two rounds in Eugene. And I, we said this in previous podcast, women's basketball, if you're a top four seed, you host. And Oregon, with the win over Oregon State, I wouldn't have said they locked it up, but pretty close. It would have been a much better spot. And now I expect when they release their projections, Oregon's either going to be at 16 like they were last week or maybe outside of that. And they have some work to do. And I think but the bigger issue, and we talked a lot about on the men's side, is consistency. Is how do you beat a team by 53, which is as good, maybe not better than Oregon State one day, and then struggle? I go, these are rivalry games. Struggle to put them away in Corvallis, but you do. And then really just kind of lay an egg at home. And I, and it was kind of similar to just a weird weekend for Saturday and Sunday for, you know, home basketball games at Matthew Nutt Arena for these teams because point blank, neither team played well enough to win. And they're playing in fear competition. Oregon State is a better women's team than Cal is a men's team. But regardless, like, it was just a really disappointing game. And the alpha dog question, I think, for the men's program – kind of also applies on the women's side. You've got, on the women's side, the, the positive is you have kind of three players who are capable of being that on a night-to-night basis and have proven that in the Arasabali, Tahina Pau Pau, um, and India Rogers. The bad thing is sometimes none of them play well, and that's what we saw mm-hmm. on Sunday. And I think, I don't know if there's been a game all year where all three of them have played well. And that is a really bizarre thing especially offensively, maybe just an overall play that they've, they've cumulatively played positively. But, like, it feels like, hey, if they can just all get hot on the right day, they can beat anybody. But the inverse is true, and we just saw it on Sunday. With none of them are playing well, I know they scored, like, 48 of the team, 60 points, but they were 15 for, like, 36 from the field or something. Uh, it was really miserable shooting, and it's just a strange team right now. And so I think just to kind of wrap up where the women are at, they're going to make the tournament. I think they have a shot of being a top four seed. I think they could make a run. But just like the men's team, you could convince me that the wrong matchup or just the wrong day and the team's not in the right headspace, they could lose to just about anybody as well. And that's the thing with these teams that are really con- confounding right now, covering them. Of like, uh, You talked about how before the men's game, we everybody expected them to win. Before every women's game, I go around and I, we do score predictions among the media guys. All of us picked Oregon to win by like 6 to 12 points and yet didn't materialize like that at all. How how much of Nira Sobley and her um, what's the, the the head issue the dizziness that she was dealing with um, at Arizona? I wonder what happened there because she she going into that game you know the last couple of games she was shooting 75, 61, 75. 67% from the field, um, 20, 15, 23, 22 points. And then against Arizona, when she was dealing with the dizziness, she didn't play uh, against Washington State uh, a couple of days later. Um, and her shooting percentages are not good since then, 46, 25, 44, 36. And this is a player that's shooting almost 54% from the field. I you guys know the women's team way more than I do because my focus is primarily on the men. Yeah. Um, but I feel like when Eric, when you brought up like the consistency, when she's playing well, that everything runs through her and she may not lead the team in scoring, but I feel like she's kind of that player that every defense has to worry about. And it allows everyone else the freedom of movement to play. And the last couple of games, she's not been herself um, offensively. It feels like from afar. I think that's fair. It's it's. I don't know the health component here because it's been different things. You know, it was the dizziness against Arizona. Arizona State. She landed hard on her back and then didn't play against Washington State. We should note they beat Washington State again, a probable tournament team by fifty points without arguably their best player, which made that even more bizarre. And then against Oregon State, didn't play well in either game, really. Um, you know, I know she finished with 16 and 12 on Friday. I think she scored 13 on Sunday. But from the field was below 50% both games and missed, frankly, a lot of shots that were makeable. A lot, I mean, almost mm-hmm. exclusively shots at the rim. I mean, Oregon State, to their credit, played a six foot nine player on her. Um, and Mitrovich really, I think, screwed up with her I mean just the timing of things is difficult when you have to the loft you know just all of that gets altered by playing a taller player with that much height experience or or, uh, advantage I should say and I think she was one for eight to start that game and I think Mitrovich deserves a lot of credit 
Um, but collectively, yeah, I don't know where the health stuff is because frankly, that's the thing where Kelly Graves is kind of not too keen on going into much detail. And so like, I don't know. All I will say is she has not played very well collectively since that Arizona game. You know, she played pretty poorly against Arizona State, dealing with that back injury, didn't play against Washington State, had an okay game against Oregon State in the first game, and then was pretty pretty off her game on, on Sunday. And if we're going to draw the men's comparison to Will Richardson, I mean, I think there is a comparison to be had in terms of, you're right, Matt, they're different players, obviously. They play very different stylistically. But when they're at their best, the whole offense runs through them. You know, they run the pick and roll through Niara. They'll give Niara is great at the top of the key, you know, off of either off a ball screen or just off of a, you know, a pass. And she can either attack and get to the rim or, or hit that 15 footer. She just hasn't been, that stuff hasn't been working recently um, for whatever reason. So absolutely. I think that's a key part of this. And then I can't, I can't help but You can't ignore the three point shooting four for 21. The last game. This is a team that's supposed to be built around three-point shooting, kind of like the men's team with Dana Altman. I think stylistically, the men and women play fairly similar basketball, to be honest with you. Um, mm-hmm. And it's an enjoyable brand when it's working, but there's only a couple of players right now that I have really much confidence in and them hitting a three, and even though those players are in slumps. Like, going into the year, I would have told you Tahina Paupa, who was shooting over 40% for most of her freshman year, was a pretty good three-point shooter. She's like 27% right now, and she was what – I think like three for 15 or something, three for 13 this last weekend from three. I know she was one for eight, I think, on Sunday. And India Rogers was over 40% three-point shooter at USC. She's shooting 31% this year. Um, Sydney mm-hmm. Parrish, who is your dead eye, who's kind of supposed to be that Aaron Boley role, was over 40, I think 43% in non-conference play and shooting closer to 35% in conference. And these are open looks. Um, credit yeah. to Maddie here for hitting a couple of these last couple of games, big shots to improve her percentage, but she plays a lot and she's a 35% three point shooter. So collectively no one's hitting threes. And you think about how good this team and these programs, or this, this program and these teams historically have been from three under Kelly Graves, like leading the country from three point percentage. Good. I think right now in conference play, they're like 33%, which is below middle of the conference. So um, that's a big part of it to me as much as it is Niara. Yeah, I think, I think Niara has, really met her match in some of these games. Um, I do think that she was, I, I do think that she's playing hurt. I think mm-hmm. she was hurt against Arizona state. I don't think it has anything to do with the dizziness. It seems like Kelly kind of shrugged that off and didn't really talk about it in his post game press conferences. Um, it sounded like the back issue from Arizona state was more of an issue in terms of her total play style. Um, and what I mean by met her match is that, you know, she's a very physical player. Um, she will get down on a low block and she will move whoever is guarding her and try to force shots through her and draw the foul and hit the shot plus a foul. Um, against Arizona State and Arizona and the second game against Oregon State, um, they have played her physically. Um, they have put bigger, bigger forwards on her um, and forcing her to do – you know, forcing her to catch the ball like 18 to 20 feet away instead of the 10 to 12 and force her to pick up a dribble, um, force her to try to get to her dominant hand, her right hand, and try to make a layup out of that. Um, and she's capable of doing these things, but it's it's been a lot harder the last couple of weeks just because of how Arizona, Arizona State, and Oregon State have played their played defense against her. It's just more physical at the end of the day. And whether that's taken a toll on her, it clearly did against Arizona State after a really hard fall on a tough layup attempt. Um, you know, that could just be what it is at this point. Um, but, you know, the other stupid thing, I guess, is that in the in the lone game without her, they scored 83 points. Not only did they win by 53, they scored 83 points and absolutely dominated in the interior against Washington State without their best interior player. So... I don't know what to make of it. It's clear that her shooting woes aren't helping the team. But fun fact, no one's shooting well right now. <laughs> Not a single soul on this Oregon women's team is, is, is shooting well at all. And you could go two weeks ago and pull up India Rogers' stats, Tahina Paupau's stats, and just see the cataclysmic drop-off from everybody's stats. And so I, it's the consistency. It's the outside shooting. It's um, just – hitting open looks. I think Kelly has 
the last few press conferences, Coach Kelly Graves has come in and just been like, you got to hit your shots. We we're giving him looks and nothing's going down. Um, you know, like these are elite basketball players. They're like they're here at Oregon for a reason, and that's because they hit their shots and they haven't been doing it. And that's why they've been losing. And it's true. Uh, Oregon took 20 more shots than Oregon State on Sunday and made a total of five more field goals. If they bump that up to a total of 10 more field goals, they win. If they hit eight of 21 threes, which is a decent shooting percentage, not great, not elite, just okay, um, they win. That's four more threes. That's, you know, like we're – we're no math majors on this podcast. That's 12 more points. They didn't lose by more than 12. So, and defensively, um, I don't think know, that's you an look issue. At, I, don't I don't think it's an issue, issue either. Personally. No. I mean, look at look at the scoring that opposing teams have had during this, this quote-unquote skid. Even in losses, like scoring mid-60s is not going to – that's very respectable. No, because Oregon should be averaging mid-70s. Which is what like they are on the season, right? Right, but they just they they can't they haven't hit a shot in forever. I, in my post game article against Oregon State, I added up all of the three point attempts in the last six games, and they're thirty four for one thirteen, which is good enough for thirty point oh eight percent from the on the arc. That's not bad. Okay, um, that's not going to win you a lot. And if you take out um, the Arizona State game, the first one. Um, where they were eight for 17 from beyond the arc, which is good, fun fact. Um, they're even worse. So, you know, they're probably shooting at an under 28% clip to take that game out. And that's not going to win you any games, especially in the Pac 12, where it's the Pac 12 is actually one of the best conferences for women's basketball, where there are very few nights where, it, you know, Oregon is playing the men's team is playing Cal. You know, those games that should be easy, that's very rare. The only game that was easy, like Eric was saying, was Washington State, where they win by a million. But <laughs> you look at that, and the last week, that was the hardest game on their schedule because Oregon State wasn't that good. And obviously, it's a rivalry game. But of the of the three games, or one Washington State, two Oregon States, Washington State was the bigger game, which is perplexing because we all think Washington State isn't that great at basketball, but that was a bigger game, and they won by a million points. So, I don't know. I feel the same about both teams. I, I, it beats me on why they're both playing the exact same way. Matt, to wrap up the uh, the pod here, give us the men's basketball tournament prospectus. What do they need to do? Uh, I assume we think they're outside the projected field now. They were kind of right on the cusp going into that loss against Cal. How dire is this? Can how many? I guess like if you look at the schedule, can they lose? How many games could they actually lose to, to have an at-large opportunity? Well, as of the time of this recording, um, only one of the major, I guess, bracketologists have released <laughs> an updated um, projection, and that was Jerry Palm of CBS Sports. And Palm has Oregon in the tournament, but they are the they are the top team of the four who just made it in, meaning um, they are the, the first team on his board to move up out of the playing round situation should Oregon continue to win out and teams ahead of them lose. So they're in the tournament, but they're not. They've got to play their way in. Um, we've certainly seen teams go to Dayton, Ohio, and get to the Final Four. That's happened. Mm-hmm. Um it's it's not – I do think there is some something there where we see teams catch fire in, in Dayton and at least make it to the second week. Um, but, yeah, they're, they're in a place now where they can't afford to lose games. Um, they don't have any more extra lives sitting in the upper left-hand corner of, this, of their video game screen. Um, they can lose basically to Arizona – and that's it, um, and not impact their their chances. They can't lose tonight against Washington State. They got to go on Thursday, and they have to win at Arizona State. Which, um, like I was on here last week with Jared, and I said they would go nine and one. Um, that's 
still possible, but it's going to now require them to 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 beat the team I thought they would lose to, um, which was Arizona. But I said that at that time that they would they would need to um, worry about ASU and they would need to worry about especially Washington State on the road. Um, I think Washington State at home is going to be scary, but they're in a position where they can still get themselves probably to a single digit seed line, best case scenario. But I think the dreams of being like a six seed are probably gone. Um, you're, you're looking at a team that's got three quadrant, three losses. All of them are at home, which is horrible. Um, but as Alman said after Saturday's game, they still have resume building games. That starts today against Washington State at Arizona on Saturday with ESPN's game day there. And then next week, they've got the UCLA and USC games to wrap up their home schedule. And then another date with the Cougars to wrap up the season. And then whatever happens in Vegas. Um, but if they lose two or three, if they lose two games um, in the regular season, they're going to have to win Vegas probably to get in. It, or maybe best case, they get to the, the conference championship game and they get an at, you know, they get a, a play in selection or maybe a, an 11 seed or something. Um, but it's a weird deal. This team's going to have to do what a couple teams under David Altman have done is high wire stress act, um, white knuckle. Yep. The, the steering wheel to, to the finish line because it's going to be pretty stressful, pretty tense. Yeah. Um, on that same pod, I said that they go six and four. I certainly didn't see them losing to Cal. Um, I thought that they could you know, potentially pull off the upsets on USC or UCLA again, most likely USC. But I thought they would, they would win all of their games against lesser competition or competition like Washington State, where they're good, but they're not USC or UCLA or Arizona. Um, you know, it's it. Those teams are ranked in the top twenty-five for a reason. Um, Arizona's quite good, so I, I think it would be impressive if Oregon doesn't get blown out by more than fifteen when they go down there to Tucson. Um, but they still still have to play Arizona State on the road too, and they're a competitive group. They they beat UCLA at home. They beat Arizona. They no, beat Oregon. Arizona. Beat Arizona. Sorry. No. They beat Oregon. And they, they beat Oregon in Matthew Net Arena, and now Oregon has to go there. So, yeah, I mean, it's 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 tough sledding. Um, it's how the schedule is. I thought going into the year um, that this section of the schedule would have been a lot of fun because I really thought that Oregon would be a really good team. And I thought that USC – and US, UCLA would be good. Uh, Arizona's way better than I anticipated. I think they're way better than a lot of people anticipated at the start of the year. But, yeah, they, they – I don't know if they could lose another game. I think they probably can, like Matt, like you said. Like if it's Arizona, they can lose another game. But if they're losing to Washington State today on Monday, I, they would need to win Vegas. That's the only way that they get into the tournament. And, but again, the three quad three losses, like Matt's been saying this entire podcast, the three quad three losses at home, that's what's done them in. You know, the BYU loss was bad and the St. Mary's loss was pretty bad, but, you know, losing to Houston, who's a top 12 team in the country, that's okay. Um, losing to Arizona State and Colorado and Cal at home by games that weren't really that close, that's bad. There's, there's no reason for that. Um, so it's not going to be smooth sailing for the rest of the year, I can tell you that. It's going to do it for us here on the Odds and Audible's podcast. Thank you for sending in the questions, and uh, thank you for going for a pod that we said was going to be about 30 minutes and ended up being an hour. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I knew it would happen. It, it happens all the time. Uh, it, it, it's a running joke within the three of us. So, um, All right. <laughs> Uh, until we talk to you guys later this week, thank you for listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace. CB.
CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. Citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new survivor Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount Plus.